in a world driven by selfies and social media, where empathy and entrepreneurs are considered contradictory. One podcast has set out to put empathy back in the boardroom by hearing from the best entrepreneurs around the world. Empathize It will hear from the leaders of the digital economy and learn how the soft skills drive their business. This is the Empathize It podcast. Hello? Hello? Good morning, Sam. For you, it's probably good evening already, right? Uh, good afternoon, I would say. <laughs> good afternoon, Sam, uh, Samuel Pabin. Um, I'm calling from Israel, but uh, you're all the way on the other side of the world in Australia, so uh, you're actually joining the, many of the people who have interviewed from uh, Walter from uh, Hong Kong, speaking to people in California, people in uh, some people in Israel, but uh, it's, it's nice to see you, uh, speak to you again, long time. Yeah, a long time. Good to speak again, yeah. It's been almost a year since the last time we saw each other, I think, right? In, in Shanghai? Since Shanghai, yeah, the, exactly. It's about a year, so it's uh, been a long time, but I'm sure we'll find a way to uh, catch up in real person uh, soon. But uh, I wanted to, I know Sam already for quite a while, he's been part of the amazing group of uh, international key opinion leaders for Huawei uh, for about as long as I've been part of it, which is about three years now. Uh, so I wanted to say uh, welcome to you, but I wanted to let everyone else on the listeners uh, get to know you a little bit better, Sam. So why don't you tell us about yourself? Yeah, quickly. Uh, thanks very much. Yeah, I mean, uh, as you said, I think we, we at least share <laughs> one piece, which is being uh, a key opinion leader for Huawei. Uh, beyond that, well, just uh, currently, I'm basically doing some uh, consulting on brand strategy under my own name. I'm also working as a marketing lead for the University of Queensland for their startup accelerator uh, here in Brisbane, in Australia, um, while also doing a bit of, um, of work on the side with uh, a translation company, which is Absolute Translation. And beyond that, um, I've got, I mean, the current current work, which is marketing, social media, and unpaid uh, with entrepreneurship. And I initially, prior to moving to Australia, was in France. Uh, I think the accent says it all. Uh, I was going to say the accent kind of gives it away. <laughs> I, I didn't want to make any statement like that. That would be offensive. Yeah, no, no worries. <laughs> but, yeah, I started working uh, with entrepreneurs and startup in or startups, I'd say in France initially because uh, I basically built, launched, and led uh, the IBM startup program. So IBM Global Entrepreneur in France for for five years wow. uh, prior to doing what a lot of people, or I would say, foreigners like me in Australia have done, just following the girlfriend moving to Australia. Okay, so you've basically been working in the startup field, the entrepreneur space, the marketing and strategy space for quite a while, uh, both in Australia yeah. and also in France. So clearly you have a, a nice, well-rounded international kind of experience, which is great. Um, so uh, the article I reached before we started recording, I had found an article that you had uh, posted on your Twitter feed yesterday uh, from TechCrunch, which is actually a really great uh, opportunity for both of us to kind of get into this 
mindset of empathy, entrepreneurship, uh, thought leadership, and how the softer skills really direct people uh, and are the, I'll call it like the North Star of businesses, even though people are usually focused on the more hard skills, we'll call it money, investments, and things like that. The article you mentioned or you shared was called Investors Are Waking Up to the Emotional Struggle of Startup Founders. Um, and it's on TechCrunch. But it really yeah. talks about the idea that people's emotions and the, I'll call it the, the feeling, the emotion of, of a person who's working in, in startup, in the startup culture, whether they're working in marketing or working in any aspect of it, change, uh, it it's something that doesn't get spoken about enough, even though we've seen so many different aspects of emotion being played in the startup field and in the venture, venture the world of venture capital and the world of investments and things like that. What has been your experience about it? Yeah, um, that's actually good that you're mentioning the the article uh, on the topic itself because uh, that's something that's coming into light more and more. And uh, I think the fact that TechCrunch actually published about it shows it that it's a topic, I would say, emotional intelligence, empathy, mental health issues in the startup world that's finally, I would say, coming to the surface. It's been, I mean, it's been a topic that uh, I've been involved with, what I've witnessed at least uh, from about for about the past ten years or so, working with startups. And I mean, we're both entrepreneurs as well, uh, in our own way, uh, having our own businesses as well. Um, we all know the struggles and the stress of running a business beyond just being an employee and. Uh, and having to, to cope with the tasks. I think in the startup world, um, this kind of level of stress, level of pressure is multiplied. Uh, I know also quite a fair amount of entrepreneurs who've literally sold out everything to just start their business. And um, it's like selling the house, selling the car, leaving the fairly high paid job just to get started on a project that's that's a passion that comes from the heart, but that's also basically risking everything. So it creates a level of stress. It creates a level of passion and uneasiness at the same time, um, which has always been around, but um, that for long has been lost, I think, in the, in the culture of the household. Um, when, you, when you listen to Gary Vee, for instance, and, uh, and the likes, uh, the point is you're succeeding if you're working 24-7 and, uh, and just basically you're, I would say, full-time selling, trying to do business and everything. Um, and that, I mean, that's usually something that the people who've succeeded can say. Uh, the problem is 90% of the people who are trying to make it are trying to copy or trying to do it as well but are actually facing the, <laughs> the other side, I would say, of the household, which is just burnout, uh, just right. straight out burnout. And why do you think all of a sudden, you know, it's definitely clear that now more and more the com- companies, articles, thought leaders are talking about it. And while Gary Vee does talk about the art of the household and the art of the, you know, the importance of working hard and being, at that peak of your game all the time. And he mentions that he's, you know, definitely at his peak, which is no question. And I'm not denying it at all. He also recently, and what was really the springboard for this podcast is that he t- he's trying to bring empathy and 
you know, the, the feelings back to the, to the, the conversation. He, he said is if he becomes famous for one thing and one thing only is that he, he was able to bring these soft skills back to the table and become like the alpha traits of this generation. So why do you think it is all of a sudden that people are becoming more mindful or more aware of this issue as opposed to for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years of when people were working in the regular business or working in the entrepreneurial as entrepreneurs, they weren't being aware of, or they were just kind of pushing it under the, under the carpet. Yeah, I think we've, uh, we've actually reached kind of a peak hustle in a way. Um, because uh, you're mentioning 20 plus years ago, for instance, is basically when I started working. And even in the corporate world or working with entrepreneurs, uh, that was this time when there was this kind of human to human relation. Uh, you know, you had Brian Kramer uh, on the podcast not long ago. Uh, and we had this chat about the, the human to human, which was literally the way I wasn't doing business 20 years ago. That was still the time when you could sign a contract by just shaking the hand of the, the guy you were talking to. Uh, and at this point, I think we were still, we're not literally in the 24-7 kind of mindset. You can be working hard, but also really, truly playing hard. Um, and there's been, I mean, there's been a growth of multiplying jobs and multiplying kind of the, the workload uh, and just trying to show up more and more uh, as we're actually getting out of the of the kind of human to human relationship the more in a, into like a, a straight business approach to either business or marketing in a way um, so we, we we've really gone out of the exactly the empathy side and just thinking about people as people but more seeing people as data and seeing just the markets as a set of data that you have to to, to attack and do I would say make the most of it. Um, recently, I think the change has come partly from, I would say, bad outcomes in a way. Uh, I've seen a major shift in the, in the startup world, for instance, around mental health and taking care of founders, uh, starting in Asia. Um, a few, I think it was a couple of years ago, uh, 500 startups got, I think, two founders in their portfolio attempting suicide. Mm-hmm. And so I think in one case, at least managing it. Um, and they actually started implementing uh, assessment tools for their founders and trying to kind of get this in a way, like in a, in a more prominent position within their portfolio companies. It's like basically take care of, the, of your mental health. And that's something I've actually been talking to Kaylee, Angie recently because that's something I've been working on as well and trying to to make it a more, I would say, more visible and more kind of noisy subject uh, in the startup world and get kind of get out of the rat race of just working hard for the sake of it. Because we see a lot of people not even going to the, I would say, to the worst extent, but literally burning out or completely losing their mind on the job. Um, having been in the in the startup world for more than ten years now, I'm deeply involved. You can see people just literally breaking down in front of you, 
And that could be at events, that could be within co-working spaces, it can be within accelerators or on stage. Um, and that that's basically something that was just disregarded for quite a few years. Uh, I think now with quite a few bad outcomes, it's it's become more prominent. And it's also part, I would say, part of the success in a way. Um, there's been there's been various movements out there. And we're talking about people working out to make it. But a lot of people who've actually made it are usually, or more and more, telling you about the fact that they're trying to balance a bit of family life or a bit of just doing sports, getting out, trying to, to take a break uh, just from the, from the startup world, even if just for one hour or just for a weekend, and just come back with a lot more energy and the ability to actually get things done. Yeah, so, so I, think it's, it's, I mean, it, that is exactly, I'm noticing it more and more as I'm reading more articles online and seeing more content being published, and not in the smaller art, you know, not in the more, we'll call it niche uh, publications that might be more, fo- more focused on these kind of topics, but you know, TechCrunch is clearly no. a top-tier magazine that many people who work in this space read and look at and it's and this is not the first article for sure and there's so many other similar top level uh, publications that mention these kind of conversations and like you said i think it's you you mentioned that we've reached this peak of this like the kind of like this bubble of the, of the hustle and how important it is to always work on work and work and work and work but at the same time there's this underlying you know facade of this underlying space or emotion that is People don't necessarily are, are not necessarily taking account, but now obviously they are. They're taking more account of their mental health and they're just doing something, whether like you said, is exercise, spending the weekends off, doing something. And I'm just trying to figure out, I mean, obviously you gave it you really described it well, especially with your vast experience, that there's people more and more are recognizing that this is just can't be the reality can't be to work all the time. It just can't be. And burnout, uh, unfortunate cases, like you said, of uh suicide or attempted suicide but the burnout is there and people talk about burnout but they don't necessarily talk about the steps of how to avoid it and i'm just trying to why don't the why don't why do you think that the the entrepreneurial space put that in or you you seem to be doing is taking efforts to do it whether it's with kpmg or whatever it is and taking steps to say is here are some things that we should do and implement for our ventures for our startups to really make sure that they're stay, they're healthy at all times, at least mentally healthy uh, and physically healthy, obviously, if they're doing exercise. But why is it that more and more people, are, do you think, are, are not doing it? Or maybe they're doing it and we just don't know about it. Yeah, I think there's still, I mean, there's still a bit of um, just a bit of fear, I would say, in a way, or just people are not jumping into it because it's mental health. There's always been a taboo around mental health. It's like like some other topics, I would say, but uh, mental health is, uh, is first associated with literally having problems or literally mental issues, uh, uh, even before being just tiredness, being just burnout out or whatever. Um, so there's this... There's this massive taboo around mental health. And when it comes to organizations and when it comes to entrepreneurship, I've seen it firsthand around here or in other countries. Um, if you go to 
organizations, and it could be accelerators, it could be random startup programs or whatever, usually people kind of running these programs don't really have a grasp of uh, mental health in general and what it could bring to the table. Right. Um, I've experienced it and I've seen it. So, I mean, and when we're talking generally taking care of founders and just looking into mental health in general, it could just be helping people with a psychologist or with just basic support uh, support system to cope with the daily stress, cope with founders' disagreements, uh, and just kind of, I would say, untrigger problems as well very early on. But this is not something that in the industry is really widespread. There's still a very, very, I would say, big misunderstanding around what it, uh, what it means. So uh, the, it usually comes into, I would say, into play or into the conversations when the founder literally burns out or when the conflicts are going absolutely crazy and the guys are just burning down the startup with, I would say, with themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, part, I mean, say it's partly a, a lack of education in a way by some of the people who are a bit too business-focused and don't really have the, the empathy skills or the human skills. And it's, uh, it's just also partly part of what the corporate world in general uh, has been teaching everybody. It's like you don't go to the nurse or you don't go to the psychologist, even in the corporate setting, because it could reflect badly on whoever you are, right. on your personality or anything. So, so, so you're saying is that there's, you know, the fear of mental health, well, like the taboo of the topic, like you mentioned, and the overall culture or the accepted culture or accepted norm in the business mindset up until now, which of course it's always been the case, but up until now has really been succeed, 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 make more money, drive more business. And all of a sudden people are saying is we can do this for, you know, five, 10 years as a person, as a company, as a brand, as an enterprise, whatever it is. And all of a sudden, some, at some point, there's some sort of event, whether it's the person's event, whether it's the company's event, the startup event, the venture, there's some sort of event that changes and shifts and reach that that break that tipping point where all of a sudden people are like, wait a minute, we can't keep continue doing it at this level without some sort of you know, crash or some sort of burn that will cause our company to either completely fall apart or to, in some way to shift our mindset so that we were much more aware of what's going on and how we, how we, we can avoid these situations in the future. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I mean, uh, I would say the funny or not so funny thing, actually, is the fact that some companies are actually failing because of just very basic conflicts with founders, for instance, which if they had been taken on early on with just the support of a third party or just someone who could mediate, um, the companies would still be going and still maybe or hopefully thriving. Right. I've seen companies just absolutely die and burn to the ground just because of founders' conflicts. That's where, I would say, if you look at it from my point of view or potentially your point of view, which are maybe a bit more educated point of view at the end of the day, <laughs> more experience in a way, yeah. younger founders, they would literally go nuclear on each other just for absolutely basic, stupid reasons. 
I think that I think part of it is also that because people are so focused on working, you know, with the screen, they're very used to working with the screen you know, or some sort of digital medium. All of a sudden, they have to start working with people again. You know, this is the problem with people working with their phones all day. Is if you look at a phone all day, you can interact with the phone, you can interact with email, you can interact with all these different kinds of communication, but you're not actually talking to the person face to face, seeing their eyes, seeing what they're saying, hearing what's not being said. Because in an email, there's no what the, what is being said and what is not being said is very clear. And even though you can say, well, maybe he meant this or maybe she meant that, it's not easy to un, to analyze the email without hearing the person face-to-face. So when you don't have that face-to-face interaction, all of a sudden, you can, you, like you said, the person can go nuclear because they never have experienced that. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. I think the, um, the, the use of emojis, for instance, is a, is a good teller of that because you can send them in, you can be texting someone, send a smiley emoji while you're absolutely pissed off or right. just like dying, literally. And it doesn't tell anything about your real feelings. I think it's, uh, it's this lack of habit of actually showing the real feelings, which actually people have to deal with when you're face-to-face and literally talking to each other. There's no hiding behind a smiley or any right. other form of language. And, and so the, the founders are having this problem with face-to-face meetings or interacting with people in a much more real scale, a real yeah, I guess we'll call it real scale. And they're having the problem of, you know, using the digital means that they have and that, that are great for so many different things. And we have this issue where the digital can help them and increase and grow their business to a, a amazing successes. And we've seen so many, we know so many stories that are out there about people who have run their business to some impressive, you know, heights and, 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 you know, scale but at the same time you have this challenge that no one's talking about and we mentioned the idea that perhaps it's because it's a taboo of the topic or people just want to show off what they're they just want to show off the fact that they've succeeded even though that if you look at their bank account or you look at their personal life or you look at their relationship with the people that they actually work with it, it's clearly a, a mess I'm, I'm just trying to get to this core of the, of the issue especially from your insights on the startup life what would what would be a way to kind of combat this or to try to take what steps can we take to get people to say is listen it's it's important to succeed and we're not trying to say you shouldn't succeed but not at the price of your own personal and business and enterprise health what would be some great steps for really to kind of put these people into in more of a mindset of interactions that are positive welcoming the importance of whether it's exercise mental awareness what what would be what in your experience what would be some of the great tips or uh, steps to take? Yeah. yeah, I think, I mean, it's uh, it's something I've seen here, uh, especially in Brisbane, for instance, getting started in a way, because uh, literally I think the best thing to do is for the more experienced uh, entrepreneurs or members of the ecosystem as well, uh, would you have some form of authority is not to push the hype, uh, but actually push this kind of balance in life and just, uh, I'd say, just the smarts around entrepreneurship as well and educate people who are getting into entrepreneurship. Because, I mean, um, that's why I see actually quite a lot, especially uh, I'm working with the university here, for instance. So when it comes to younger entrepreneurs, I think the, the vision of entrepreneurship is literally Silicon Valley, but Silicon Valley, the, 
literally the, the TV series. Right. Uh, a bit of hype. Uh, it's also the, the Zuckerberg syndrome in a way where you can build anything from your dorm and you can make, make millions, if not billions. Right. Um, and they've, I would say they've seen the most visible side of entrepreneurship, which is successes, which is companies raising millions and billions. Um, usually the failure and the bad stories or the darker stories are not really making the headlines anyway. So um, I think the, the, the best, I would say the best thing to do in any custom anywhere in the world is just to bring this kind of oversight um, we can call it the dark side <laughs> in a way right. that's interplay and literally really, really educate people because um, it's mostly about it's mostly about education at the end of the day, to be honest. Right. Um, and even people coming from corporate and moving into entrepreneurship, they have, I mean, say they have a better understanding of the business itself, but they also go by the fact that you can't have a nine to five you have to work hard, and yes, you have to work hard, but you don't have to kill your old family life just to also be a success. Right. Uh, so it's, I mean, it's uh, it's mostly, I would say, all the tools are there anyway because it's it's basic knowledge. Is you have to you have to work on the project, and you have to make sure you can work on it even at the weekend and save some time for it, but. The basic skill in the end, in this regard, for instance, is just kind of making use of your calendar and just dedicate some slots to either working on your business or just spending two hours having a bit of a life or enjoying activities or just even, I would say, getting out and, uh, <laughs> and enjoy a bit of sunlight. <laughs> yeah, that's one of the things I like. You know, I know that the... Yeah. In the lean startup model, one of the most important things to really test whether a you know whether the MVP is actually viable, whether it's actually even in the most basic sense is viable. And I have a couple of T-shirts at home that say when I was a, a um, an advisor there or a mentor there, it says get out of the building. You know, my biggest thing is people don't do is they they sit in their room, they sit in their office, they sit in some shared space, they see all these people around them, but they don't actually get out of the building and talk to people and engage. And in positive way, meaning interact with people and, and, and talk about their problems or listen, listen to people in a more human way as opposed to just staring behind the screen. Uh, and I think you mentioned before, and this article on TechCrunch, now that I'm reading it in, in its completion from start to finish, is just filled with so many important um, skills and tips. Like It says here, like one of the things that, you know, they're quoting Carl Jung, but, which is a classic psychiatrist, but he says, knowing your own darkness is the best method for dealing with the darknesses of other people. You know, so he's saying, he says, get to know what your, what, where your weaknesses are, what your, 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 plot, your issues are. Once you know your issues, it's much easier and much more possible for you to act or interact with people in a more positive and, uh, and effective and, and a productive way because you're, you know how to react to people in a positive way. I'm not saying you, should, you can't take advantage of it. Of course you can take advantage of your skills and knowing how to work with people and how to sell, which is important too. But I think more importantly is to learn how to become resilient with other about resilient during those challenging times. And I think it's, yeah. it's part of the issue is just people are not getting out and they're not, they're not, they're not engaging with people, interacting with people in a way that makes sense. 
Yeah, I think that's and that's been one part of the issues as well in the in the startup world uh, in general. Is uh, we've created a bubble of people like entrepreneurs or people within the startup ecosystem. That's what I usually say to to startups is. Uh, even when you're validating your, pro- your product, you don't talk to people who are in your direct circles. You don't talk to family just because they love you and they're going to tell you everything that you want to hear. But you also don't talk too much, at least, to all your friends who are in the startup world. Because if you got a kind of fancy, cool tech solution, they're going to love it. Right. Not because they're going to buy it, just because the tech is cool and they're geeks and they like it and they understand it. But if you go out there on the streets and you talk to people who are literally not going to have a clue what you're talking about, and you try to sell it to them, then you get the real, I would say, the real insights and the real customer vision. And if you're trying to sell lines of codes to these people, they're not going to give a fuck, literally. Um, they want something that's useful. They want something that, uh, that relates to them. And that's where... We're talking about empathy. This is literally empathy. It's like they want to be able to empathize with whatever you're selling and wherever you are, not with your lines of codes. Right. So it goes back to that idea that people sell to people. You know, one of the most the, one of the ancient you know statements of business is people yeah. sell to people no matter what. However big and however sophisticated your product is, if you trust a person, you feel that they are they know what they're talking about. They're passionate. But they also, more importantly, is that you go in there and you feel like the person you're about to, that you're sitting in front of across the desk or across the table, you feel that the person is and you have that connection. You can see that the person actually is more than just a bunch of words of sales pitch, but rather that person is actually a a human being and they have real emotions and they really present themselves correctly. So it's that human experience, that human interaction that, you know, like we mentioned, you mentioned before, Brian Kramer, who, like you said, is a... was a guest recently who I was completely, uh, I'm still a huge fan of him and I'm unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Like was, I got there so quickly, got on the podcast so quickly, but it's that human interaction that people sometimes take a, take kind of for granted in today's digital age because they say, well, I can do anything when I, if I can spend enough money on ads and write enough good content and engage with the right people online, who needs to talk about their emotions? But then when you start looking back and saying, is if you start tr- trying to, you know, find the touch points of how people actually interacted in human in a real way, meaning some sort of connection, whether whether it's some sort of you know DM conversation that happened or some sort of tweet uh, stream of tweets that they can see the person. All of a sudden, it's not just about you know sales, money, investments, and uh, and marketing. Uh, definitely. I mean, I, I had a good example of that when I was working with some startups in a, I would say, in a more serious capacity. Uh, <laughs> I've been the CMO for a couple of startups, and, uh, and the, the, the best test I've, I've done with these startups, uh, with their products, to see whether it made sense or not, was just go to my fiance, who's actually a psychologist, who doesn't care in the slightest about technology at all. So... Or she uses smartphone just for the sake of having Facebook and emails. Right. Uh, and she, she's not fast about random maps or all the rest. So I actually worked, the first startup that I worked with had an app which did um, automated kind of contact updating. So it was like a, a, a personal CRM in a way. Right. 
And I got her to try download it and log on to it and use it. Took her forever to download it and log in and she used it. And basically after 10 minutes, she was telling me she hated it. And I was like, oh, that's not cool. And <laughs> you know what? The fact, that it took, the fact that it took 10 minutes for her to get into the, the app is really a problem, <laughs> but we'll put that aside. But really like just yeah, yeah, yeah. people always just, say, just, you can't market this product if you can't, get your child or someone who's not familiar or your mom, you know, that's like a famous Gary Vee thing is, you know, sell it to your mom or whatever it is. If you can't get the person who's unaware or let's call it less educated about tech and apps and really doesn't, you know, it's nice to see if they can use it, but it's, I mean, it's nice to see that they use the app, but if they can't even get it on and they don't understand the whole value of it, you know, that really gets you a, a certain sense of like, well, that's, if you're trying to really penetrate a market and really try to break break some you know break something or fix something that's broken to really get into that level you need to make make sure that you understand the the end users issues their pain points their the, what they're looking for and i think people lose that when they're starting to create all these value you know all these products and apps that they're, they're they kind of lose that that very critical thing which is the customer at the end of the day your end user is the person who needs to understand the value within whatever amount of time it is because otherwise, whatever the product is, it doesn't make a difference if it's like a some sophisticated Salesforce system, CRM, or some very simple social networking site or some other email app. If they can't get it within some short period of time, then they're not going to be able to say, yes, I use it. Yes, I'm enjoying it. Yes, I want more of it. Because if they can't get it, you didn't listen to what they said originally. Yeah, no, definitely. As, uh, that was actually the case, and that was um, that was very interesting because that's exactly also what I was mentioning earlier. It's like we talked about it before, and she was okay, not super happy, not super frost about the app, but it was an okay using it. It was a complete no. And this app initially, I mean, the best market was the B two B market, but there was this premium version. Uh, which was B2C, and just those, this one test would just confirm that B2C was in the way. Uh, but at the end of the day, hey, that's, that's the point. That's how you just make sure that you're not pushing a product out there and spending time and wasting time and money on something that people don't want. That's very... How would you do for B2, B2C? I could easily say, okay, well... Take the product, we'll pitch it to some people, you know, whether it's a focus group or just your friends and family, it doesn't make a difference. Um, I have my own opinions on focus groups in general, but let's just say we yeah. you know, give it to your own friends and family, get people off the street, just explain it to them, whatever it is. But in a B2B space, if you're trying to test a new product, you know, there's a, there's a different kind of challenge as opposed to B2C where you could just say, okay, I'll take it to the, take the product to the masses and getting them to do it. And so on a B2B scale, would, would that same approach work? Do you think, in your experience? Uh, I think B2B is a bit, a bit different in a way, but uh, at the end of the day, you still have to confirm that the people who would be buying the product are interested or have a the product anyway. Uh, I think the validation part is a bit harder because when it comes to B2B, you might not necessarily have the friends who are sitting on the board or who are the making purchases in some of the big fours or any other company, but I would say that's the that's the same. I would say same um, path to follow anyway, because 
people are only going to be buying what they need. Um, once upon a time, and uh, I worked in some IT companies, you could sell software licenses and whatever that they would put on the shelves, let them sleep there and, uh, and spend a few minutes on things that they didn't need. Uh, I think these times are, are a bit gone. So nowadays, even in the purchasing process in businesses, you have to be matching your needs and really answering their needs. So uh, similar to B2C, you have to talk to them. You have to understand what they really need. And that's also literally how I started my career as well. I was selling in B2B, but before selling, I was actually advising. And I think nowadays, that's something that's kind of gotten lost in the way, uh, somehow, somehow along the way. But the more you listen to the customer or the more you listen to people and what they need, uh, uh, the easier it is to sell because you're not coming with a product that they might be testing or that they might not need, but you're actually coming with a, coming up with an answer to what they actually need. Right. So, and knowing, so it's not only being aware of yourself as an individual for your own mental health as a, as a, as an entrepreneur, it's important and being able to find those times, like we mentioned before, but it's more than that. It's taking that information and awareness of yourself, awareness of your surroundings, not only for your own mental health to be successful, but it's also more important and maybe equally as important. And that's really the kind of the goal here is it's not only important for yourself to be aware of you, it's also important to you be aware of you as the business so that way the business is succeeding because you're listening to the issues, the pains, the, the comments, the critiques, the feedback from your customers or potential customers, whether they're B2B or B2C, because if you're not listening to them and you're not really interacting with them in, on a some, somewhat regular basis, your, your product's going to fail. Not because, and, and then the stress that we've talked about earlier is just going to repeat itself because you're not really doing the most important thing, which is you're trying to be aware of yourself, but you're not being aware of your business. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's, uh, especially in the startup world, uh, usually the, the business is quite tightly intertwined with the founders or the founder. Right. So um, just being able to understand where one I mean, person stands or where you stand as a person and where you stand in your business, I think is definitely key to having like a solid company because the, I would say the more solid the foundations and when, when we say foundations, again, the founders are the foundations of a business, uh, especially in a startup where usually it's going to be a one or two persons operation. Right. So if the foundations are not solid already, the business won't be solid at all either. And so we've talked about people being aware of themselves. We've talked about the companies being aware. And we've talked about the fact that you have this, the, the, the soft skill, this awareness, this mental health, emotional intelligence, emotional quotient, whatever you want to call it, empathy about yourself and about the business. And yet somehow we still haven't figured out a way or, you know, obviously you mentioned there are ways, small ways for companies to put in small ways, but not necessarily like a real solution of how to, bridge that gap between the awareness of the company, awareness of yourself as a founder and entrepreneur. And, and there's some sort of gap there that's, you know, you called it the taboo. And I, I, that's my, definitely something I believe also is that this taboo of talking to people and, and uh, this taboo of, of emotional intelligence, EQ, whatever empathy is there's, it's a topic that meant that people don't like to talk about in any world that's associated with business. 
Uh, and so this, this bridging the gap to me is still something that needs to be figured out. And I, I'm, maybe I'm asking a challenging question is, do you think there's besides just giving offering, you know, classes or yoga classes or exercise, you know, opportunities for exercise, are there some things that you can kind of create within the foundation of the business uh, when you're de- developing the business from the start up, you know, from the literally from the, from the bottom up, excuse me. Um, is there any way you can really identify it or are there any things that you as an experienced advisor, consultant, mentor could say is, here's some things that I can already identify, you know, within the first few meetings that I could say is, here are things I can do to really bridge that gap between business awareness and human awareness? Yeah, it's uh, it, it, it's a difficult question in a way because uh, it's usually I mean the, the problem is there's no standard as well. <laughs> so uh, I've seen I mean I've seen some teams, for instance, coming up, and you can tell well, the, the founders might be having issues in the future. But at the same time, there's also some founders who come up with enthusiasm and they're ready to go, but three months later they're basically literally dying because they still don't feel like they've figured it out and they don't have the confidence anymore. And they've kind of lost the drive or the, or the, or the focus uh, that they initially had. I think what we need um, is more a system, and I don't have a, a definite answer there. Uh, that's something I've actually started working on, and it's, uh, it's a massive topic to tackle. But uh, get some support systems in place to actually help the, the founders or the teams or just the people in general as humans just get through whatever issues or whatever obstacles uh, they're facing. Uh, but these are so varied that it could be, as we were mentioning alongside the discussion, founders' disagreements. It can be just at some point, a few months in, the stress kicking in and at some point, it's just anxiety just kicking in for whatever reason. And as you were mentioning, it could be just the basic, the most random trigger. Uh, family meal and whatever questions come up trigger this anxiety. So there's not going to be one standard. And that's why I think it's, um, it's not going to be one answer. But uh, the answer would come uh, most likely from all the people hopefully with a bit more experience who are in the ecosystems uh, on a worldwide basis. And I think that uh, just a publication like TechCrunch, putting it out there is a very good thing as well because there's um, there's this idea of weakness associated with mental health and, as you were saying, the taboo around it. Um, and getting it into more publications and talking about it really helps a lot uh, just getting the message out and getting people to think about it. And potentially, that's one talk I'm doing here uh, at the Startup Accelerator in the, in the early days is just make sure that on your startup journey, you build up the support system or you have people you can talk to, you can, you can relate to what you're going through. And that could be, I would say, just people who are humans and that's the family side of it. But the family usually doesn't really understand all of the entrepreneurial journey. So you need people who've been through there who are not necessarily in the rat race of the startup world, who are not in the bubble, but can look at it from a more, I would say, global perspective um, or with 
with a bit more, I would say, vision about what it is and the fact that startup or entrepreneurship is just one piece of your life. It's not your whole life, um, which is really hard to, to define when you're actually building your startup and just working every day to just try and survive. Uh, you kind of lose that perspective that, yeah, I mean, you're building a business. Sure, it's taking 110% of your life at the moment. But to anybody looking from the outside, your startup is basically 10 or 20% of your life. It's not you. So, and it's just a matter of having these people. And that's why the more people, the more experienced people there are in an ecosystem can actually push these message, messages out. And when you talk experienced people, it's even more important if you have a structure or a structure which is accelerator programs or incubators or whatever, because you have the ability to touch 10, 15, 20 teams, uh, potentially more. And that's how you can actually spread um, this kind of better practices in a way and messages and try to kind of grow the recognition um, and hopefully make or well, start making a difference. Then there are other systems. Some you were mentioning psychology that TechCrunch came back to. Uh, my fiance is a psychologist. I can tell uh, as much as I'm not really a great, <laughs> a massive fan of psychology in general, there are some ways to identify issues and to cope with issues. Uh, there are some mechanisms that can also be transferred to just the startup world, for instance. Yeah, so it's it, so the so what you're saying is for startups, especially early on, when they're like you said, a team of two, team of sometimes a team of one or a team of whatever it is. That that sense of getting some sort of mentors, outside help, and not the people mentors who are within this, the ecosystem of ventures, investment, marketing, whatever it is, but rather people who are outside, of, like you called it, the bubble, which I think is a great term, is to get them from yeah. outside of there to help them to learn it. Uh, and to be aware and to kind of identify not necessarily advice on how to build your business because that you can have mentors from within to do that. But sometimes it's more about the people who are not affiliated with it directly uh, with the venture or the idea of this, this whole startup ecosystem, but rather people from outside who are more in tune with those softer uh, undertones of what's not being said, well, how do people interact with each other, and those kind of things, and using those skills to help the startup, whether it's the founder or the group of founders or the team, to really develop their sense of awareness and sense of, of self and mental health will help them thrive. And we, I, there's so many examples. I have this person who I'm trying to uh, get uh, on, the, on the podcast who said she was invited by Google or she participated in a Google um, workshop for senior-level executives where Google created a, a program to become basically awareness, self-awareness. I think it was called Search Inside Yourself is the book that was written about it. Um, and so the idea is to really help people not only focus on your bus business, which is, you know, we, we can get people no problem for that, but have people who are also part of the business culture that is also, we'll call it the softer skills, the emotional intelligence, the emotional quotient, where people can actually say is, how do we interact with each other? How do we listen to each other? How do we engage with each other properly? So we're not just doing the work and hustling, which is important, but also more importantly, it's also hustling about yourself or hustling about, you know, your mental health. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's the, <laughs> that's the funky thing as well. Is like when I started my career as well, right. I had this amazing pool of mentors in that regard, which were basically my grandparents. Yeah. We didn't have a clue about technology, business, or anything, but we would just keep you grounded just yeah. by telling you about real people and real life. Yeah, I, think I, it's just, I have the same exact thing. Sorry exactly. to cut you off. I have the yeah. same exact thing. My, to this day, the person who was one of my biggest mentors was my wife's grandfather. Uh, and he also, he said the same thing. He said, listen, I don't know about business in terms of, it, he was a very successful businessman, but he was a fundraiser. He said, I, I know two things about work, working with people. One is they're people and therefore you, the passion is the most important thing. And second of all is if you're present and you're listening and you're actively listening to those people, they will realize that you're very interested in what they're doing and also interested in what, and they will be in turn interested in what you're doing because you're allowing that interaction to be real and be, be focused as opposed to just kind of being very surface level. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And uh, as you're mentioning, I think listening is a, is a massive part of it as well. Um, that's been a key as well in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, in the early days, I think I was told that in meetings, I was pretty quiet. I was actually usually quiet on the first meeting. Right. The second thing, I would actually speak just because I'd taken the time to listen, understand, and come up with the real answers and not just make noise. Right. So which is one of the key things as well. Exactly. So now that we've kind of talked about this entire thing, and I think we've really gotten to a good point in the conversation because it's, it's, it's very important to show how the, you know, these, these undertow these under, I call the undertones of, of business are not just about the business skills, which are very important and I'm not minimizing it at all. I, I think the undertones are the underpinnings of a great successful company are those that are allowing the people, the, the culture and the enterprise to be aware of itself but also aware of the individuals within that company and that organization. So that you, you really, we kind of come full circle about the, who they are as individuals, who they are as companies, some tips, which is great. So I get to the point now, the conversation, and we kind of talked about it also about, you know, bridging the gap between the, per, the business side, uh, awareness of the business side, and then awareness of the personal side. And now I get to the point where in the, in the podcast where I say is, okay, Sam, now if you had, you know, everything, it was perfect in the ideal scenario. What would you be able to say to the startup founders today and say, here's what we should do to make sure that the future of, you know, the venture world or the entrepreneurial world is a little bit better in this component. What would you be able to say? Uh, I think it would be <laughs> fairly easy. I would take a, take a page from the book of my grandparents again. And it's just make sure to just get a, a table big enough for everybody to, to sit around and have a meal, have a chat, have a drink, but actually do interact with each other because I think that's the that's the key point. Um, that's that's the best way to, to actually learn and understand uh, each other and understand what other people are thinking or what their I would say the culture is. You just sit around and have a chat. Um, that's that's very basic, but I think it's uh, the there's no better way to do it, to be honest. And that's, I think that's, the, that's what we've seen as well um, in this world of social media. Uh, I mean, we've, we've connected on Twitter, for instance, right. uh, before we actually met in person. But at the end of the day, uh, I think I've 
I've gone through the old era of going from the pay phones to social media and all the rest. And in a similar way to what we're saying about shaking hands and doing business with people uh, initially, I think we've gone from actually meeting people in person to actually moving to the digital world. But even nowadays, whether it is on Twitter, Facebook, or else, you see an actual switch to trying to meet people with whom you're connected on LinkedIn, on Twitter, or whatever, and meeting in real life as well. So I think we're going back to this because that's where the real value is as well. Right. So I think that's, uh, that's a great tip. I think, like you said, is interact with people, get out of the building, you know, using the lean startups motto is get out of the building and talk to people and engage with people and, and interact with people in a positive way. And doesn't mean you have to put your, your voice out there. You could just be listening quietly and, and listening to what people are saying about whether it's about your company, about themselves, about, the, about sports, about politics. It doesn't make a difference. The idea is to listen and to interact with people in a, in a we'll call it the most traditional way, which is a face-to-face. Uh, it could be also that you don't have to do face-to-face. It could be a video chat where you're just talking to people and you know, shooting the breeze a little bit, but you're listening and you're engaging with pers- someone in a, in a very positive way. So now that we've talked about some tips, we've talked about the issues, the, the, the challenge that we have, my last question to everyone on the podcast, uh, the guests, and I thank you so much for your time again. Uh, my last question is, are there any fun projects or any projects that Sam is working on? You mentioned a few of them on some big projects you're working at the university. So here's your chance to tell us, here are three things that I'm working on uh, whether they could be entrepreneurial, they could be personal, they could be a mix of both. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I'm not even sure I'm leverage free, but <laughs> uh, I think the biggest project right now is actually organizing and finalizing all the details for the wedding next year. Oh, wow. Congratulations. In May. So that's that, the big that one. Is definitely, <laughs> that is definitely a project. If you want some help, I'm happy to give it to you. Uh, but I don't know what the relevance are in Australia, but I could definitely give you some tips on that one. It's a project that is probably one of the biggest projects. Uh, and, you know, I always say is marriage is one of the biggest startups or the biggest ventures you're going to go on. So make sure that the everything is good and... Uh, so it's important, and, and we're talking about awareness of founders. You're, you're creating the, the ultimate founders are is a, a couple of words getting married. So that's a, a great project to work on. <laughs> yeah, definitely, and uh, yeah, this um, that should be good. That's uh, it's quite an interesting work, piece of work, organizing a wedding in France from Australia with family wow. coming 